Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, everyone. I'm Erica Ellis from Living Joyfully, and we are so glad you have joined us for this episode of the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Pam Laricchia and Anna Brown. Welcome to you both. Hi. So on today's episode, we are diving into a really popular topic, and that is siblings. So many of the questions we receive on the podcast are about sibling relationships, and it's also a huge topic of discussion on the Living Joyfully Network. On the network, members can share specific challenges they're facing, and it just opens up these amazing discussions since our community has such a wide variety of experiences. I know I always take something away from our conversations that helps me see things in my own life with my family in a new way. And everyone on the network is really being intentional and open and curious, and that just creates such a great atmosphere for learning and growing as a parent and as a human. And so if you'd like to learn more about the network and check it out for yourself, visit livingjoyfully.ca forward slash network, because we would love to meet you. And now on to our discussion for today, siblings. Do you want to get us started, Pam? Absolutely. I would love to get us started. And well, knowing me, (laughs) I think it can be so helpful to start with exploring our expectations. Because there are so many conventional messages around siblings that we need to explore so that we can let them go. And we can't skip this stage by saying to ourselves, I release my expectations. I know I shouldn't have them. Because trying to bury them kind of that way won't last long. They will bubble up in our energy. They will bubble up in our word choice. You know, even if we don't consciously recognize that we're bringing them in, they will bubble up because they are part of our essence right now. So we need to do the work to discover the expectations that we personally hold and dig into them to understand where they come from, explore the implicit messages for our kids that we are subtly communicating, and just see if they actually make sense for us. So for example, I think something, an expectation that a lot of us hold, certainly maybe when we first have kids, is that our kids will be the best of friends, right? Of course, our family will get along. Of course, the kids will be nice to one another and play together and help each other out. When they grow up, they will be the best of friends. Even if we didn't get along with our siblings, we envision it'll be different this time. It'll be better for our kids. And I think that's a great one to pull apart a bit. You know, just ask ourselves some questions. Why don't we think that? Do we think that the shared genetics means that they'll naturally get along? Or is it the close proximity? They live in the same house. They know each other so well. Of course, they'll develop deep and meaningful connections that will last them a lifetime. Does telling them, be nice to one another, your siblings, work? So I think it starts to seem a little bit unrealistic when we peel back the layers around the connection between being siblings and being friends, because those are actually very different things. And so much so because people are different, right? Like 
They are not like that genetic connection really isn't going to take you far. I don't think people are incredibly and beautifully so different, aren't they? Oh my gosh. I, yeah, this, this one's a big one for me, just for my personal journey, because, so I have um, two girls now adults, but they are pretty close in age, like less than two years. And I would say early on, they really were this best of friends and always playing together. And, you know, it, it kind of had this, you know, idealistic with its own bumps along the way, you know, pieces. And then when they got to this preteen, um, teen, early teen years, I saw this need for them to just kind of just find themselves separately, you know, so they're very different. Like you said, I mean, could not be more different in every way. And at that stage, it just really highlighted like they wanted people that were more in line with like different aspects of themselves. And there were even times where I would not say it wasn't like fighting necessarily. There was a little bit of that, but it was more just this distance. And so I really had to do work. I, and I didn't, it kind of hit me by surprise to just really let that go. Like they may never be friends. They may not hang out together when they're older. Like that may not ever happen. And it was only then through that releasing that I was able to actually see them and facilitate what they needed at that time. And, you know, they have a fine relationship now. They're not the best of friends, you know, but they, we enjoy being together as a family, all of those pieces. But I know that I would not, had I really harped on that and stayed there, I think it would have gotten really ugly. And so I think just watching for when these things bubble up, like you said, there's all these external messages and they can hit us at odd and different times and understanding that we're all different and move through things differently. Just so, so, so important. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I kind of benefited from your learning about this, you know, because on the network, I was able to hear a lot about, you know, the different phases that that kids go through. And so I definitely felt like I, you know, have noticed myself kind of clinging to those times when they are playing so well together and making each other laugh so hard. And, you know, those moments just feel so great. And so I had some fear about, as they're getting older, like, what if they stop doing that? How's that going to feel for me? I was kind of afraid of that ending. Um, but I feel like it's been less scary than I was kind of anticipating, just because I'm, I'm so actively observing who they are every step of the way. And so the decisions that they're making now and the choices that they make and the way they're relating to each other now just kind of makes sense to me. You know, like I see who they are and I'm not putting my kind of wishes or expectations or, you know, this fantasy life that I could imagine ahead of who they really are in reality in this moment as they're growing. And so I think that'll really help, you know, as they continue to grow and as their relationship continues to change um, over the next years. And so that was one part, but I think that's not the only expectation even that we have potentially about siblings is that they'll be friends. It's like, you know, the, the big brother who will be the protector or, you know, there's all these different potential, um, you know, things that we've learned about as we are growing up and what we experience maybe with our own siblings, like what are the dynamics? What is the older sibling supposed to be like? And what's the little baby sibling supposed to be like? And so, right, just recognizing that so many of 
of those things are just stories and, you know, cultural ideas that don't really have anything to do with these actual different people <laughs> who are right here, like showing us who they are. And that leads to one that I want to talk about that that's related and, and a little bit different. And that is kind of roles that we tend to cast people in. And our brain can just do that for a lot of different reasons that we don't even have to kind of go into. But it is something to watch for because it's like that. The big brother is going to be this. That's one aspect of roles. But another one is these assumptions that we make about a person. Like you're the shy one. You're the sporty one. You're the this one. That really pits siblings against each other because neither is feeling heard or none are feeling heard none are feeling seen for who they truly are and so that piece you were talking about Erica where you just you see them like you know them you celebrate who they are uniquely that is actually what creates a family that feels good because we're all feeling heard and seen individually without these expectations of we're one way, we're another way. I, um, I read the book Siblings Without Rivalry when my girls were very young, like I feel like infant and two, because I'm going to get ahead of it, right? Because my um, my partner, his relationship with his brother is terrible. And so the book actually I found interesting because I could see his life playing out in that book, how the roles were cast, how like how it was created that they would hate each other, you know, and that ultimately, you know, they've found their peace to some extent as they've gotten older, but it's like, oh, like not really, because like, it, it was not malintent at all, but it's just these not giving intentionality to how am I showing up? Am I really tuning into who this unique person is in front of me? I love that. So it's something that we've talked about, right? Looking at your child as an individual, who, what do they like? Who are they? How do they move through the world? You know, and how, how that, how deep that is, that, that is so important in this topic too, in sibling relationships, to be able to see them as an individual versus a role. Because yes, that role, then it's like, oh, does, you know, one parent preferred the sporty one. So now we're going to have this closer relationship. Oh, we're introverts. We'll stay in and, you know, sit in our room, whatever, <laughs> you know, so that it, it just messes with all the relationships. It messes with the sibling relationships. It can mess with parent-child relationships, which then affects the sibling relationships because then it becomes competitive. Like when we start bringing roles in, we are now like not looking at the individual. We just like, okay, we understand them. We're, we've now got this definition for them that we can use in substitute because it's faster to think about sporty person than it is, this is my child that loves hockey or loves football and loves this part of it and wants to play it all the time. Like those, the, the individual nuances of sport are just so valuable in having a relationship with that person in connecting with that person and in supporting with that person, supporting that person in the pieces that they enjoy. And, you know, if we cast them so much in that role, we don't think about them in the bigger picture, right? They may want to grow beyond it. You know, it it really makes it so hard for us to connect with 
just the people in our family. And like one thing that I love, and I guess we can link to it in the show notes, is the whole like ideas. It hit me a lot because I too did a lot of processing around here. And the idea of our family as a family of individuals versus, you know, we're a fan, like language that talks about we're a family that does this, or we're a family that does that. That not only casting the people into their own individual roles, we're casting the family into a role that we always get along with each other. We always do this, or we're a sporty family. <laughs> and that poor one child that really is not interested just gets dragged along to all these events, or you know, you can just, but that's the great thing. Think about it through your family's lens the individuals that are in your family. And for me, what the aha moment that came out of that was recognizing that I at first was thinking about, you know, the idea of fairness that, you know, at holiday time or birthdays, they all get this number of gifts. Or, you know, if we go out, they all get this kind of thing you know I spend the same kind of amount when we travel here or we do this thing so when I started digging into that it's like oh they are such different people you know if one of my kids wanted you know a baseball glove or you know something that supported their sport love and then I was like, oh, I want to be fair. I don't want them fighting over the thing. I give everybody a baseball glove. Like, as an example, you can quickly see, like, so, and then the other child sticks that in the closet and it never comes out again, right? So for me, taking that idea of fair and alongside the idea that people are different, I started to realize that the question for me was more the idea of feeling equally loved, what would that look like for each child? Because when you start thinking of it through that lens, it will look very different for each child, right? So in some seasons, one child will need more of your attention to actively process through a challenge that they're going through, maybe. And another child who's loving that sport needs more of the family budget right now because they're traveling for games and stuff like that. And maybe another just needs more of your presence right now because they're embracing a cocooning season and just knowing that you're there for them just helps them feel good. And you can see how in that situation, they would all feel equally loved, but how you are with them looks very, very different. And it's that equally loved piece that helps keep that competition out of the sibling relationships, right? It helps them recognize that, oh, we all have value. We're all loved and we're very different people. And it looks very different for each of us. So, I mean, there is just such depth to talk about sibling relationships, isn't there? <laughs> so true. I feel... Yeah, well, all I wanted to say there is just that, and we get there by seeing them as unique people and not the roles. Like that's yeah. that's the work of how to, to get to that place of what does that even feel like? Sorry, go ahead, Erica. Right, because the, the fair doesn't really even make sense once you start to think that people are different. It, it's not even a thing yeah. anymore. And I feel like what's interesting about the fairness part is like, it's coming from the place of the 
showing love. Like that is the point of it is like, I want to be doing a very good job as a parent. So I want to make sure that everything is fair. And so I grew up that way. Um, and I made a really intentional choice to not ever bring any fairness language into my interactions with my own kids as they were growing up. And I really do think it made a big difference in their relationship. And I'm sure it's personality based too. Um, but, you know, I just, I grew up with a lot of messages about making sure everything was equal and fair. And I see it with my mom when she interacts with my kids of like, I'm going to, I can play with you for 10 minutes and then I'm going to go play with Maya for 10 minutes. And she'll do that just without even really realizing what she's doing because it's overwhelming to have both kids coming at her and she wants to make sure that they're both getting their time, which it's coming from a place of caring about them and wanting to do a good job. And yet then I see how if that's the way it is over and over, it starts to be like, nah, but it's my turn and that's not fair. She got more minutes. She got. And so, um, yeah, like I, we just haven't had that kind of um, discussion um, with our kids. Like they don't really do that. Like, but it's not fair is not really something that we hear. And so I feel like. Um, I don't think like my natural state from birth would be to be competitive. I feel like I've always been super aware and concerned about other people's feelings and would have wanted more of that type of relationship with my siblings where I would have wanted them to get what they needed and, and kind of, you know, celebrating people, all of our family as different individuals and wanting to support each other and getting what we all needed. But instead it really, it did turn more into but now she got that. What do I get? You know, like really making sure that we're competing. And so I don't know. It is, it does feel like something that's learned basically like that, that fair equals equal thing. Yeah. I think they feel these children are capable, right? Are of supporting each other, of taking other people's, you know, their siblings' needs into account. I think they do learn to compare. And that is more than likely through our language and through our loving wish that we treat them all equal so that they all feel equally loved. But it's it's not a comparison thing. It's not a tit for tat kind of thing, right? It right. really is supporting them as the individual. Like your example, Eric, is just brilliant. 10 minutes each child. Because what if one child just wanted to show her something that would take three minutes and the other one wants to get into a deep discussion that would take 15, you know, boom, you, you've got practically 20 minutes each way, but you've left, you know, one kid who showed them for two minutes and then is bored trying to keep them occupied for, for the next seven minutes of the 10 minutes. And then the other one feels like, oh, I didn't get enough time, but I want to show you a little bit more. So they're both left feeling like the the connection um wasn't what they were looking for just because it was equally divided it's fascinating it, it really is and i do want to say so this is going to be a little bit of a counterpoint but because i'm thinking of my own two girls very close in age and i'm thinking of a friend with three girls very close in age sometimes it did mean we needed 
two switches or we needed three things because, and it wasn't so much about fair as equal. It's like, but wait a minute, you know, like I want to play the new thing too. And we just, and so I had to let go of this idea. So maybe this is another expectation, like siblings are going to share and it's going to be like this, you know? (laughs) And it's like, because no, not always, you know, sometimes we need two things and we need three things because right. We're all wanting to engage with whatever that thing is. So this isn't about like these like perfect children that are sitting there and every, but it, there is a mindset piece to it, you know? So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Right. And I think if, if they have more of an experience of like our needs are going to get met and what I care about is important, then they're much more likely to be expressing what they want as what they actually want. And so if they're saying, you know, if Oliver says, why did Maya get that? I want that. I believe him. You know, it's not about I'm competing with her. It's like, I also want that. And right, then that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, completely. Because it's them being themselves and, and, and wanting to engage in the things that they're interested in. So yeah, if somebody got one thing, it's like, that's the difference. Like if you think about an, in a family where equal um, fair is being determined as equal, like they see something, somebody getting something else that's popular. It's like, I need to have that too, so that you're being fair. So it's a power thing, right? And they need it and they want it and it sits in the shelf. Because, but I got it through that expression of yes, I have equal power in in this family, right? I will get those things. But if somebody gets something and everybody's loving it and they want like more time with it, yes, you get another one. And then maybe another one. <laughs> and maybe one for the parents because yeah, I'm going to say like we all have, it wasn't the switch back in the day. What is that thing, Pam, that we had? The DS. The DS. Yeah, so we all four of us had the DS, David, me, and the girls, because we all wanted to engage with it, you know, and there were moments where I was like, this is ridiculous that we have four of these, and other times where I'm like, it brought us so much joy and was so fun, and it just made a lot of sense, so yeah, definitely that. But I can I go on to a different topic? Because yeah. one of the things I wanted to talk about, because what comes up a lot with siblings, we see it on the network and other places, is when um, there's conflicts, right? So we have, you know, the fights or the different things happening or escalations happening. And I just wanted to really talk about, for me, there was a big, I can, I can have a justice button. And so I really had to watch for my own triggers, like what was being triggered in me when, and, and also, am I worried about the younger one? Am I feeling like this one's taking advantage, whatever. I noticed all of that was not about what was in front of me. It was a lot about my own experience as a sibling, my own experience at school, you know, with those type of dynamics. And so I really wanted to watch for those triggers so that I could set that aside because what I wanted to bring to a potential conflict or an actual conflict was this more kind of neutral observer road, a a role, a facilitator, but not someone that's passing judgment. So like if I hear screaming in the other room, it's coming in like, whoa, you know, I get everybody's upset. Let's just take a pause. What's going on? Tell me what's happening. 
you know, just, I wanted to bring that kind of calm energy of I'm not passing a judgment about it. And that helped so much. And then being able to, then I could hear them. And I want to talk about validation later, but I'm going to, I'll let you guys talk in just a second, but like bring that energy of like, yeah, I want to understand. And we're going to work this out. And you mentioned that a little bit too, Erica. It's like, when we have that trust that I'm going to be heard, nobody's going to be judging me. I'm, we're going to figure this out those conflicts can be de-escalated much faster than in other environments where there's kind of judging and you have to defend and explain and, you know, you feel like you're not being heard. Yeah. The, yeah. the triggers are hard though. <laughs> like this is yeah, one yeah, yeah. of the really hard things I think about, about being a parent is like, because we're not always, or maybe ever all the, all conscious of all these different things that are kind of trapped within us. Um, these old, old wounds or, you know, old things that have happened. And, and so to be kind of unaware of that and then go into this new situation and realize, oh my gosh, I really am holding a lot of something, something uncomfortable about what's happening here. And a lot of it, um, I've seen play out, um, with different parents, um, really seeing that the older child should know better. You know, the older child kind of gets viewed as, well, they're older, so they shouldn't ever be, you know, doing this to the younger child or something. Um, and kind of expecting more from that older child than maybe their age, <laughs> would it would make sense, any sense at all. And so um, just kind of being aware of, of the children where they are they're all doing the best they can same as we are and right like just just realizing that if we're feeling something that's so strong and heavy towards an interaction it's got to be something more within ourselves to peel back yeah i love that notice just noticing something's bubbling up and that's like oh you know maybe this feels bigger than the situation warrants or <clears throat> i think too i love the you know when when you have like a, a a second child, like the first child just looks so much older, even if they're only four <laughs> or they're only five, you know, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, you are just like so much bigger, so much more seemingly capable than this, this young one here. So, you know, we can put again, back to expectations, we can put so many expectations on them and maybe we've worked through it once or twice. We've talked about this before. You don't do that. You know? <laughs> like, no, meet them where they are and knowing, like, and learning who they are and helping them process and move through the situation. It's just, it's night and day. So valuable to walk in without judgments or preconceived notions into a moment. And also, I think, to walk in with no preconceived solution to it right like if I walk in knowing okay this happened again you should be doing this and you should be doing that and please remember what I said next time this happens do that again please <laughs> you know that, that's just not how human beings tick it's not how they learn memorizing someone else's solution back to people are different memorizing how someone else moves most comfortably through a conflict um just is not it's sure it's great information to have maybe like oh yeah that's how they like to move through it but like what works for me I need to play with all sorts of different ways to move through it and you know I, I think it also becomes 
again, back to the individual. Like for some kids, being there and having the conversation together works. It helps move them through that. I know for my kids, for a while, for, you know, as we were learning these tools, it was really helpful just to kind of like scatter when things got overwhelming. And then I could talk to each of them individually because, you know, when when we were together and we had moved to unschooling, um, there was that defensiveness. There was that, you know, still kind of a bit of power dynamic where like, no, they don't get to do that or I get to do that, you know. So to be able, and it was hard to validate, we'll get into that, validate one in front of somebody else because then they're like, but no, you know, and so to be able to talk to them individually and process individually and come up with plans, you know, next time, maybe what, what would feel good? What might we try? And just to play with things and play with different ways to move through it. And that took time. That took you know, months, years, and it, and it doesn't matter how long. I don't want to give an amount of time. So, okay, so if I do this for this long, then this will be solved and we'll move on to something else. Again, it's the individual people in front of you. Like some pieces of it, they might pick up really quickly. Other pieces may take a lot of time for them to find their way through it. And then to be able to remember that when we're in a heightened moment, right? Like, even we, when we're triggered, we know how hard it is to try and come back to this moment and be present with the other people in it. Like all human beings are going to be challenged by that. It, to have the expectation that our kids will figure it out and then be able to do it for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's just a pretty heavy one for them to hold. <laughs> right. And so I feel like this leads into validation kind of from a lot of different directions, because I think when we understand our kids as unique, you know, creatures like of their own people, like that helps us with the validation piece, because validation really is tuning into the individual in front of you. And it's helpful to remember, like, we don't have to agree or even understand their experience to hear and validate and show up for it. And I think, you know, I just, I, I've told this story many times before, but, uh, you know, we had um, a friend over and the girls were young and like screaming breaks out. I'm visiting with this old friend in one room and screaming breaks out in the other room. And, you know, I go down there and she's kind of observing me, this friend who does not have kids. And, you know, my oldest is like, I I never want a sister, you know, like just like the whole nine yards is coming out, like just all the big language, all the everything. And, you know, I just was like calm with her. Like you just wish you never had a sister at all. Like you are just so angry right now and you just want her gone. You just don't want a sister and just really validating those big hard emotions. And she's like, well, it's not that I just wish she would listen and this. And she was able to kind of move through because I wasn't scared by her big language. I didn't go, but you love her and she means well, and she didn't want to, you know, do this. And the kind of explaining that we tend to do because we can be protective for the young one who we love, you know, and that that feels scary. But five minutes, two minutes later, they're back playing happily together. And my friend's like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> like, how did we go from I thought the house was going to burn down to they're just playing and laughing again? And I was like, she just needed to feel heard in that moment. She was super frustrated. They're young. They're figuring things out, like super frustrated. And I could hear that because 
it, I don't have to take in and defend her sister. I don't have to do, you know, and then, like you said, sometimes it's separating so that I can validate little sister who's like, she's being mean, she's doing this, you know, whatever it is. But I think one of the pieces I want to get about validation when we're talking about it with siblings is even the hard stuff, even the ugly stuff, even the things like that, we need to validate and be with them because that's how we move through those hard emotions is by that validation. Right. I just wanted to pop in with like that language, right? That really what feels to us over the top, it may just be the language that they have. They're yes. just trying to express their emotions, yeah. right? So we don't, but we have that nuance. So when we can come to them and see and hear and validate that what we're validating is the emotion. We're validating them um, where they are. It's not really about the language, right? So that's how she could like start to see, oh, well, it's this thing. But she needed to be heard that this thing was big for her. And they just have, they have a limited amount of language, depending on age, like to be able to express that. So they just pick the biggest words just to show. And when we validate that, yeah, validation is all about the other person. It is not about, I am now saying that I agree with you. What a pain. <laughs> that other child is, why did we even have them? That's not what we're saying when we say you never wanted to have a sibling, a brother, a sister, whatever. You know, it's not what we're saying when we're validating. We're not like agreeing because we validate. We are meeting them, showing them that we see them, that we see whatever it is, whatever energy that they're having, emotion that they're having in that moment. It just makes all the difference to feeling seen and heard. And through those conversations, that's where they're practicing the skills. It's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't actually that. It was, gee, I wasn't being heard. And through a few times of that, then they can get first to the, I'm not feeling heard. But they need lots of time to practice that and to start identifying that, to find the nuances so they can start to recognize them. And then they can get to that place themselves and then we meet them where they're saying they're not listening to me and then we work through that that piece right it's just it is it's hard and it's so beautiful too yeah I um I feel like we're kind of getting to to a point that I was hoping to make which is um just like how often these sibling relationships are the like the fertile learning ground for like how to interact with another human and so um yeah it's challenging and they are coming without these skills and yet you know here's all of these great opportunities so I feel like that just knowing that and and kind of having that idea in my mind helps me in the moments of conflict if I can think like this is what it's all about. You know, this kind of navigating these conflicts and and doing this well with them and validating them and really hearing them out and, and helping them learn to express themselves, helping them learn to narrate for themselves, like all of those kind of skills, it's going to help them for the rest of their lives. It's not, you know, navigating conflict is not going to be something that goes away throughout life. And so having a sibling, that is one of the values in having a sibling is these opportunities to learn some of these um, relating skills. Um, 
So yeah, and and validating is so much easier, like you were saying, when we are looking at them as individuals and not in their roles. And that that, that can tend to be a place where I get stuck. You know, if it if, if I'm thinking, but you don't do that, or but you aren't like that, or but you should know better. And so, um, yeah, I feel I love how all these things are kind of connected in this topic, but I love that point, Erica. The validation looks so different for each child, more than likely, and with our partner, but we're talking about siblings today. But yes, it is so individual because, and you, it really helps to know the individual to be able to play with the language. Like, again, it's not, okay, here are the steps to validating. Please do that next time your child is upset. Oh, you know, we all kind of wish there were rules or like, a, 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 pro, a procedure that we could follow that works for everybody. No, not, not. We are all different. We are all individuals and, and it can change over time and it changes like over, over like seasons and skills. And as we change um, as, as just human beings, but it's, it's just so fascinating to recognize the value of it, but, and also how, like for me, it goes back to our kind of dance metaphor in relationships, right? You know, it, I may say a little something that just doesn't seem to quite land, but then I say something else and, and I keep trying and that may be how I'm getting more information. And I think I want to just pop in too, because I know we've talked about this before with validation and we'll link to some of our older episodes too, but also maybe in the moment, validation isn't about words. I know, um, you know, for a couple of my kids, when things were heightened, validation was about um, just being with them, just being with the the energy, meeting them with that energy, being that, you alluded to that, Anna, too, just being that grounded presence where they know, look, they can stay in the room even when I'm super upset, right? And uh, I'm still okay. And I will get through it. Like there's so many messages communicated when I can just be there with them. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll more than likely have short, long, lots of conversations later for the processing piece, but also just processing through the energy might be something that needs to be done in silence. Like that any, any, any additional energy that I bring just just can't be absorbed yet. Can't conversation can't be had. So like to think that validation must be about conversation. I just wanted to put, you know, it's never just like one thing. It, what does your child need in that moment? That is the most important thing, not some sort of process somebody told you. Right. About. It really is. So it's just for me, it's watching my own self, grounding myself, and then showing up however's needed because we're going to get those clues. You know, we're going to get clues from our child if they're wanting a conversation about it, if they're just wanting us to be there, if they're wanting us to help them pull out of a situation. Cause sometimes there's kind of this headbutting going on and they're just needing our help to just move things along and change things up or be with them. And so, but I feel like I get their best to see those pieces when I'm grounded, you know, when I've watched for my triggers, when I'm, you know, not coming into it with that activated energy. Right. Like I, I can handle this is a really good feeling. Um, and 
I know as, you know, like as the upset person, it really feels so good to have someone who can be there for it, you know, and, and that it feels like this is okay. Even this is okay. Um, yeah. And I feel like, like so much of the, the parenting siblings benefits from so many of the tools that we talk about. Um, so validation, of course, narration, definitely, <laughs> you know, remembering the halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bringing in the context for our kids, you know, all these, these kind of narration things. And I feel like it has also helped um, when I kind of reflect on past kind of conflicts and and show them how we have gotten through them. You know what I mean? Like this, this is something that has helped Oliver a lot because he'll be really stuck in the moment and feel so angry. And then if we can remember, you felt like this before, do you remember? And then, you know, that that those feelings pass and that we can find a way to make things feel better. Like the that kind of memory usually helps settle his nervous system because it's you can kind of feel stuck in that moment of conflict and it can feel like you can't escape. But I was a you know kid once I had siblings. I remember what it was like to feel so angry and so frustrated by them. And we move through it, you know, and, and just using all of those skills helps so much. Yeah. I love that reminder because it really is. I mean, that's why we talk about the same things over and over again, because they apply to just so many different situations. So I'm going to give just a quick shout out to the Living Joyfully podcast, because we really talk about those tools in that specific way and just in relationships in general. And like you said, Erica, this, this is kind of this I don't know, first intense relationship for them, you know, with their sibling and with us. And it, and it is a place. And I think um, it's so it's made so much more valuable by our presence and by sharing these tools and by talking about things and by being, you know, that that presence with them and helping them understand that. Like, I think then that learning what I've seen with with my kids and we've talked about this before is just. I saw them take those tools that we were using to relate to each other and then use it with their friends and ultimately their partners and beyond and at work and all of these places. And I just thought, oh, these have really served them, you know, these skills that that I had to work on and figure out too. Right. And the thinking of it as opportunities to use these skills also feels a lot yeah. better than like hoping that these conflicts never happen. <laughs> and like thinking that, you know, per perfect relationship is going to be the goal. If I can think more like, you know, any conflict is going to be a chance for us to learn something new and practice these skills. That just feels so much nicer. It really does. And holding out the idea that my destination is there will not be conflicts. <laughs> like, I think that's another expectation we might be holding. Get to peel back and see what you think about that one. But yeah, the goal isn't to never have conflict. It is exploring and finding the tools that work for you right now to help you navigate those, those moments because, yeah, <laughs> that's life. <laughs> yes. Well, we have had a lot of fun diving into this topic, obviously. So thank you, Pam and Anna. And thank you to our listeners. We hope that you found this conversation helpful on your unschooling journey. And if you're looking for individualized support, whether it's about unschooling, relationships, work, or just life, you can check out all of our coaching options at livingjoyfullyshop.com. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 
I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.